Good afternoon. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Dr. James Show. I am Dr. James Smith Jr. And I am flying high. I'm flying high because over the weekend, God blessed me with another opportunity to live another year. My sixth decade celebrated this week. I'm probably going to celebrate for the rest of the month. So happy about that. Um, I'm thrilled that today is our, our last show for the season. Not our last show. For the season, we started the Dr. James Show last year, right when the pandemic was trending. And I wanted a way to still connect with my clients, my colleagues, my friends. And the show was birthed with me initially doing motivational talks. And after a couple of shows, I said, no, we need to bring somebody else out. And hence, we gave birth to the plan to bring others on. And that's where we are right now. Next week will be season number two of our Dr. James show. I've learned a lot. I hope we are bringing uh, great content to you content that is informational and transformational. And today, I believe, will be the same. For those of you who are in the chat room, please give us your questions, your thoughts, your ideas uh, with the conversation where, where we're going. Um, again, great guest. Looking forward to bringing him out. He is a, a councilman, is Derek S. Green Esquire. Uh, I'm just thrilled that he made time to be here today. I know that this is one of maybe four or five interviews that he's going to do. Powerful, powerful brother. Look forward to uh, chopping it up with him right now. So, Councilman Derek S. Green Esquire, welcome to the Dr. James Show. What's happening, man? Well, thank you for the opportunity to be on the show and congratulations on um, six, um, I, I don't want to use the word decades, I'll just say six, six, oh, six, eras, oh, six, six eras around the around the sun. So congratulations um, on that outstanding milestone and achievement. And thank you for the great work that you're doing and bringing different types of guests and conversations. Um, you know, this has been a very challenging a uh, year and some months. Uh, for me, I've, I've likened it to a Lenten season that's gone for well over a year. Uh, and now we're coming out of that period of time. And so it's great to be able to have this conversation and continue to connect with people um, regarding platforms and issues like uh, Zoom to talk about the challenges and the opportunities that we have um, in the world today. Sure. We started the month, Autism Awareness Month, talking about autism. We had uh, Terry Matthews on and she kicked it off. And I thought it would be fitting if we concluded the month with someone who's very close to the autistic journey, the autism journey. I know you do a lot of work with that. Your son is on the spectrum and we'll talk more about that. But we started the month, we finished the month and people need to know more about autism and other, what I say, differently abled situations that people are in. Um, but to have you on the show, man, it's unbelievable. I would have said, if you go to the dictionary and look up, but we're in 2021. So if you Google the word busy, Derek Green's picture will show up because this guy is nonstop. Just, just tell the audience what you have planned just for the rest of today. Uh, well, today is um, very hectic. We've often learned how to navigate through all these different platforms. And so um, today being a Tuesday seems like it's Media Tuesday. Uh, actually, after um, this conversation, I'll be doing an interview with Amy McCormick from 6ABC. Um, regarding some public safety issues and concerns we've been having in our city. I'm also going to do a radio interview with um, Lady B to talk about the impact of the Derek Chauvin uh, conviction, as well as uh, the budget. The mayor made his budget address a few weeks ago and you know, the American Rescue Plan that was passed by President Biden Congress, which is gonna bring dollars back to the city of Philadelphia. Uh, and then I also have a Facebook live show that I've been hosting once a month 
regarding my public bank initiative as a way to use um, you know, public dollars to help grow businesses, especially businesses of color and in particular in the African-American community. So I'll be spending quite a bit of time on a platform like this, um, talking to people um, virtually um, throughout the day. Well, thank you for squeezing us in. Now, I, I've done my research. I know you graduated from UVA. I know you got your law degree, Temple Law School. Um, I know you're a councilman. I know you're a chair of this, vice chair of that, chair of that too. But who is Derek Green? Who is Derek Green? Can you talk, talk to us a little bit about who you are and, and, and how did you get here? I mean, did you come out the womb wanting to be a lawyer, wanting to be a council person, wanting to head up this committee or that committee? Tell us a little bit about your journey. Uh, I guess from a personal perspective, I you know, come from a family that's been very active um, in a number of different issues. You know, my mother and father have been very active in not only um, the church where I still attend, Canaan Baptist Church of Germantown, uh, my father and I are both in the same fraternity, Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. <laughs> get just, that just in like, there, get that in just, there, right? <laughs> just, just like your brother. Um, but, you know, they've been involved in a number of different civic and nonprofit organizations and groups um, throughout my entire life. I'm used to, you know, from a very young age, you know, going to different meetings or having meetings at the house or going or seeing my parents go to different activities. So that sense of civic engagement is something that was instilled um, very young in my life. But also, I think it goes back to probably outside of my parents and, and my phenomenal wife and son who inspire me um, every day, but probably the most important person um, that's been in my life, but someone I never met, uh, was my paternal grandfather. Uh, so my grandfather was able to purchase our family farm outside of Greenville, North Carolina in 1943. So you can imagine what it would like to be an African-American man in Pitt County, North Carolina to purchase a farm. We're talking 1943. So we're talking before Brown v. Board of Education. We're talking yes. at a pretty significant time where Jim Crow was still very entrenched in this country, especially in the South. So to be able to do that, and we've been able to own and maintain that farm um, to this day, you know, we no longer grow tobacco, we just grow corn and cotton uh, on our farm. But my grandfather and my grandmother were able to organize other black farmers in that part of Pitt County. Um, because at that time, you know, you would work the farm in the morning and then you would walk to school. Mm. So you have to walk the South Aden colored school. And so for my grandfather who did not have a, a significant formal education, but viewed education as an opportunity for his children and his children's children. So he was able to bring other black farmers together to purchase a bus to enable their children to then get to school. So because my you know, grandfather um, helped to pull this activity together, um, all of my uncles had to drive the bus. So wow. my uncle Augustus, my uncle Adolph, my uncle Lennon, my uncle Jesse, my uncle Eddie. My dad was the junior, he was the youngest. He was also the rebel. He didn't want to drive the bus like all his older brothers. He wanted to work in a school newspaper. Sure. But there's a lot of family history in reference to the bus. Some of my um, uncles and aunts met on the bus. And there's some interesting um, jokes and stories of how <laughs> other young ladies <laughs> want to go there. <laughs> want, want to sit in the front seat next to an uncle and other, and my aunts didn't want to see that. So a lot of story, but it, it gave it a perspective of what, um, someone can do from an economic development entrepreneurship perspective mm -hmm. and helping moving and advancing civil rights and opportunities uh, for African-Americans. And so I've always had that interest of how do I blend economic development perspectives and activism. And so you know, I came out of the University of Virginia as a small business lender uh, with Meridian Bank. And I worked in North Philadelphia and really saw some of the challenges and the impact of redlining and some of the really unfortunate, and I would say racist policies that really impact African-Americans and people of color over the years in this country. And so that's what motivated me to you know, get more involved in civic activities. Um, 
I was able to go through the Urban League Leadership Institute and then join the board of the Urban League of Philadelphia. And that was what really kind of gave me a lot of contacts and relationships and development uh, and perspective. And from there, went back to law school uh, and really kind of brought me back to some of the, the work and ideas that was instilled in me from my grandfather. And then over time, a chance to work in the law department. And then while working in the law department, my former boss started to address the issue of predatory lending. And because people knew I had a banking background, we were able to draft one of the nation's first anti-predatory lending bills in the country, which became a model for other cities like Cleveland and Cincinnati um, and Oakland. And so my former boss, council member, Marion Tasco, yes. asked me to join yes her staff as a chief legislative aide and counsel. Uh, and come to find out she knew my father because he had started Morgan State and then went away, was in the Korean conflict, came back with a school at night. She started at Bennett College and then had to you know, interrupt her studies and then came back and was at Temple um, University also at night. And so um, wow. working with council member Tasco and predatory lending and then her legislative aide decided to run for judge. I joined her staff and worked with her for a number of years. And then when she decided to retire, I didn't make a decision because I was really thinking about going into private practice. Um, and when that occurred, then our current mayor decided to resign uh, and run for mayor. So that created an opening. And so I had to think and, and pray about what my next steps would be and then decide to run for city council at large again in 2015. And I took that opportunity because I think in life, you never want to have the what if. Yeah. You have the yes, and you can have the no. And even sometimes a no, it means really not right now. Not right now. But the what if is a really paralyzing dynamic because you never, and you never are able to move forward. Either if it's a yes, then you move forward on this new venture. If it's a no, it's maybe not at this moment. But the what if kind of paralyzes you and keeps you in limbo. Absolutely. And Absolutely. you don't want to have that perspective. So when that opportunity presented itself and after you know praying on it and thinking about it and reaching out to people from around the city, decided to move forward the opportunity. And I was fortunate enough to be um, hired by the citizens of the city of Philadelphia in 2015 and rehired in 2019. Love it, love it. So what I'm hearing is when most people were young, playing sports out in the street, in the field, whatever, you were practicing your advocacy skills <laughs> and you're still doing it well, today. <laughs> I, I, I have a, uh, my mother is a, a retired school teacher. Mm. Uh, and I joke that I, you know, you've heard the pride of the word PK or preacher's kid. Um, yes, I am yes. what I would say a TK or teacher's kid. And I can tell other TKs because they have parents who are very engaged in all aspects of their life. Um, my mother and dad come over my home, my house or come to an event where I'm involved in. She's probably one of the first people to ask everyone in the room and environment, okay, what do you do? What's your background? Yes, yes. How did you get here? And where'd you go to school? Wait, what's your, what's your last name? Do you know Mary Joan mm -hmm. that went mm -hmm. to... North Carolina A&T, yep. and I, I believe I can take her in anywhere in the world, <laughs> regardless of language, and she would find a connection to the person she's talking to. That's huge. That's huge. I see where you get it from. Listen, I heard of PK before. I never heard of TK. Now I have it. We got a question in the chat room. It says, uh, Derek, you are a leader in the community. What drives you to lead and serve people, and what do you think are the characteristics of a good leader. Let me repeat, you are a leader in the community. What drives you to lead and serve people? And what do you think are the characteristics of a good leader? And I'm gonna to add to that, the characteristics of a good leader today and the leader of tomorrow, because the workplace is changing. The pandemic has seen to that. So I would imagine politics is changing in some regard, just life in general. So characteristics of the leader today and in the future? I think characteristics of a leader today and in the future, um, one of those aspects, you have to be a, a person that's willing to listen. I think that's gonna be even more important going forward and being an even better listener. Uh, I think sometimes people 
come into a space and think, well, I know how to solve this problem. And it may be based on his past experiences, some knowledge on a particular issue, but you know, each person comes into a challenge and each challenge has different dynamics. Even a problem that was an issue in the past that's kind of come back again, has a different dynamic now. We're dealing with a major issue in the city regarding gun violence. Now, yep. for those who may remember in the early 70s where we had no gang war in 74 and those perspectives, and then we were able to address those issues. So we're dealing with gun violence again and violence again, but in a different dynamic, you know, as we're going through um, the, hopefully the end of um, this global pandemic. So I think someone who's willing to listen um, and learn and be flexible and adaptable. Um, you know, technology is changing rapidly. Uh, the fact that we're even able to have this conversation, just think if we went to, I mean, this in our lifetimes, if we were able to go back to the mid nineties and if we had COVID in the mid nineties, would we have been able to do all the things that we've been able to do during these last um, number of months? Um, you know, the internet was not robust like it is now back then. And the fact that so many of us have been able to continue to work and put food on the table, other of us have lost jobs and lost businesses and had it to be frontline workers, but a number of us have been blessed to be able to work virtually. So I say all that to say that a, to be a really good leader, I think you have to be willing to listen, um, be adaptable and flexible to changes that may occur. And understanding at the end of the day, I think something that motivates me is that you have to have a commitment to try to help people. And I think I really enjoy trying to see a complex problem and trying to help someone solve that problem and realize that you may not get any of the credit for that. And you have to be okay with that because it may be the work you put in that moves the issue forward that someone later may actually sure. fundamentally solve the problem, but you have to take comfort and um, solace in the fact that your work helped to move the ball forward, even though you may not see the end result. So I think all of those perspectives are important for a leader, not only now, but also into the future. Sure. I'm glad you said have a commitment Oftentimes when I'm speaking to leaders or speaking to my, my customers, I'll say you're either interested or, commit, or committed. Interest is thinking about it, talking about it, wondering about it. Commitment is getting it done. So when someone tells me they are interested in something, I know it's not gonna come to fruition, but when they say they are committed, that's heavy lifting. That's right. getting it done, getting in, finding the time, making the time. Speaking of making the time, we have a, a, a regular, uh, to our show. He's all, all the way in Sweden. You talk about uh -huh. not being able to do what we've done in the past today. And he has a question. He says, Derek, are there any good examples of yours when people with different backgrounds successfully work together, not separate in their ethnical groups, but together? Let me, let me share it again. It's Derek, are there any good situations, whoops, let me say, are there any good examples when people with different background, backgrounds successfully work together? And he's saying, I'm not talking about separate in their ethnicity or ethnic groups, but different backgrounds. And they came together to successfully uh, get something done. Any examples of that? And I'm thinking yeah, backgrounds, think, it could be economic backgrounds, it could be industry right. backgrounds. Uh, we call in, 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 in school, we call it interdepartmental research, where you're bringing in two different entities to, to research a certain topic. So that's, that's what I'm getting from the questions. So, I, I mean, I could think of an, an initiative I'm working on right now. So my colleague, Council Member Kenyatta Johnson, uh, you know, I was born in Philadelphia, he was born in Philadelphia, but I grew up in Bucks County. He grew up in Point Breeze. We've had different backgrounds, but I think we have a fundamental commitment to, you know, focus on issues. Um, he started a nonprofit called Peace Not Guns, um, you know, back in the early uh, 90s when, this is before he became elected official, um, before he was um, 
a graduate from the University of Pennsylvania from the Fell School. And I think he was just coming out of Mansfield University. And he had uh, a relative that was um, a victim of gun violence. And so he started this nonprofit. He's been very committed to addressing the issues of gun violence in our city since that time, even before becoming elected official. Uh, and so he's been focusing on gun violence issues. I've been focusing on uh, how we address those issues from an economic development perspective and entrepreneurship. And so we've been able to come together uh, on a number of how, issues. How, how, how have you been able to do that? I mean, you've well, come together, but, but what played a role in these two different I just mindsets? Think that, or, I, I think I would say we are both people that, although we may have been raised differently, we have similarities, maybe different approaches, but similar goals in trying to address issues like both gun violence and economic development. And so um, he chairs our special committee on gun violence. Um, I chair the finance committee. We're actually doing a joint hearing that's looking at the issue of how poverty um, and economic development issues come together and how the gun violence is connected to that perspective. And, and I think we have, you know, I've done work in a gun violence space um, and we've you know, partnered other initiatives. Um, we are working on an initiative with the Greater Philadelphia Chamber of Commerce um, to try to address how we um, bring the chamber into some of these issues and sure. be connected. And I think because of some of my relationships through the Greater Philadelphia Chamber of Commerce and so his work that he's been doing on gun violence, you know, he reached out to me on an issue. I've reached out to him and we've been working collaboratively on seeing how we can address gun violence by bringing the business community in also bringing the grassroots organizations who are really on the ground and trying to bring that bridge by saying, yeah. yes, this gun violence issue is impacting those in the community, especially those who are doing the grassroots violence interruption, but also is impacting the entire city of Philadelphia. And you just can't wall yourself off in some type of tower and think this is not gonna impact you because it impacts the whole city because if the city is not being viewed in a certain way, then you're not, as a business owner or business executive, it's going to make it harder for you to attract customers, right. attract talent for your, your workforce, um, make it hard to grow, uh, and those issues. So I think it's helping us to try to make a more collaborative and holistic approach sure. and, not, and get away from the silos, which is what I really see in the public sector. Well, if you are someone that has Councilmember Johnson profile, where you're going to just work on um, public safety issues, and that's going to be your, your focus. If you're someone from a Councilmember Derek Green's background, you're going to focus on economic development. Well, no, these are all interconnected. And so the fact that you know he asked me to work on an initiative, I've asked him to partner for some hearings that I'm doing. I think shows that perspective of having different backgrounds, but I think having a common perspective on how do we address these good. issues in our city. That's good. I guess the word collaborative would fit into your, your toolkit for what leaders are going to need in the future, the collaboration aspect. Speaking of collaboration, you mentioned earlier your phenomenal wife, your son. Tell us about your family, because this show is, you know, <laughs> we're here during Autism Awareness Month. So talk to so, us about it. No, my wife is someone that is definitely much smarter than I. Um, and good answer, the, uh, good answer. the more I've learned that to you know, listen to her more and doubt less, it will probably make me much more successful in life. But, um, you know, she's a phenomenal woman. Um, she is someone that, in addition to help being the glue that keeps our family together in so many different ways, she's an accomplished professional in her own right. Uh, she worked for uh, Share Medical Systems, which then became Siemens. Um, she's worked as a consultant in healthcare IT consulting areas with Price Waterhouse and Ernst & Young. Uh, she's currently working for Children's Hospital, helping to build the IT infrastructure for their new King of Prussia Hospital. Uh, she also teaches as a professor at St. Joe's University in their master's program in healthcare IT, um, graduate degree at St. Joe's. Um, so she does such phenomenal work, uh, and I'm just blessed to be able to have her in my life. Uh, and we're going on look 26 at you, look years. Look at you, boo. Look at you, boo. Yeah. <laughs> getting it in. Getting it in. <laughs> Hope, hopefully I can get this link so I can just subtly share it <laughs> so you can see it. Um, but it will be gone 26 years of marriage in, in July. And then my son, Julian, um, is just 
Yeah, tell, uh, us, about, tell us about Julian and the relationship, the special relationship that you guys have. So, you know, Julian is just such a, a phenomenal um, person. I mean, he motivates me in so many ways. Um, the fact that he's been able to, in spite of his learning difference of autism, been able to achieve so much in his life. It's an inspiration for me and the work that I do every day. Um, we've had opportunity to do a lot of great things together from, I remember um, he was involved in a, uh, a special needs sports program. Uh, is, that, that, is that what we're seeing now? Well, no, this is, um, the, the right is at Smith Playground where we did a, a event at Smith Playground uh, and we've done a um, event there over the years uh, in reference to an autism play day at Smith Playground to have young people an opportunity to come to an activity in a safe space and not have fear of people looking and those yeah. dynamics and just enjoy. And then the left is a photo from a program we did um, called Audible for Autism, um, which is a program with you know police officers and young people in autism space where they get a chance to kind of play football and they did it during halftime of the Philadelphia um, indoor football team's yeah. um, game. And so that was, and they've done done it at Westchester and Temple during college games during halftime and give young people on the spectrum opportunity to play football and then doing it against um, Philadelphia police officers and they get a chance for a touchdown and run the field and and that great stuff. So it's, you know, he's, he's, he's been able to inspire me to do things. And, you know, we were at a, um, autism related uh, athletic program and they decided well we also have a karate program so mm -hmm. you know i was like well you know when i was really young i did karate but it was karate slash yoga and so we would do that you know in the winter time and he was able to do all the downward dog and all those poses <laughs> me being a little more seasoned i would i'm trying to kind of hold on to the seasoned millennial <laughs> perspective although the gray in my beard does not allow that, but right, right. downward dog and some of the other poses were a little more, I would say, challenging. Um, but it was, you know, he's open to do so many different things, so many different activities, and he really does not allow his learning different difference to defeat sure. him. Even when he's had times where he's had a struggle or, or you know, a, a meltdown, he's not going to allow that to define him, and he's going to continue to push forward. And I think it's the inspiration for me that you now Julian can, with all Nevada's challenges, still push forward. I can do the same thing because my challenges are not nearly um, at the height of his or other people. Uh, and so it's an inspiration to continue to push forward. Derek, how old is he now? I uh, said so Julian's 20. 2020. Uh, okay. Sometimes 20 going on 45. <laughs> sometimes 20 going on 55. So he has a very... He has a very strong personality like myself and his mother. So he definitely is someone that will let you know uh, what he wants to do and what he doesn't want to do. And he has what I would say a near photographic memory. So if he's saying that we're going the wrong way, he's going to admit we're going the wrong way or doing something different than we've done in the past. So it keeps us busy. Derek, you and I have that in common. I think I mentioned to you that I have sons on the spectrum. Tell Tell us about when you first learned or when he was first diagnosed. I know how I felt. How about you? What was that like for you? Well, you know, he was initially diagnosed um, when I would say he was about 30 months uh -huh. and 30, 36 months, give or take. And you know, initially it was one of those things like, wow, like I had heard of autism, but didn't have a full perspective. Right, right. And you can do a couple perspectives. You can kind of take a, well, I don't want to say what was me, just like, okay, now what? And <clears throat> have the perspective that, certain things that you were maybe envisioning that he would do, and all parents do this. We're saying, my child's gonna do this, 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 and that. But those are your thoughts That's right. on what your child's gonna do. But is that what your child wants to do? And so in so many ways, when I think about Julian, if Julian was not on the spectrum, he would not be Julian. And right. so that is a fundamental part of him. Um, there are dynamics of Julian that I think if he was not on the spectrum, would not make him the phenomenal, wonderful person that he is. And so from, 
initial receiving that diagnosis, we then went from a phase of, okay, what is this? To, okay, now we're gonna do a deep dive and learn all that we can regarding autism, um, use our energy and relationships and talents to try to help um, learn more and how to provide the best type of life that we could for Julian from helping us start the first autism support class at our local elementary school, Houston Elementary School, um, to raising um, you know, money for um, the annual Walking Out for Autism Speaks um, fundraiser that's held at Citizens Bank Park. Uh, my wife coach, you know, co-chaired that uh, for a couple of years to doing the work I do in city council. Supporting now, now, now you're, 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 making, you're, you're making this sound easy. Just advocate, do the research, assessment. Something tells me that you and your wife had your hands full. And I'm speaking from oh, experience. It's, oh, it's, it's it, it, trust me, it, it, there has been times of real challenge. And I have kind of a small de facto group of other men on who have children on the spectrum. Uh, and in touch base different times. And, you know, Julie has been a, a blessing, but there's been some real challenges I can think of as he was going into puberty and the impact. And when you think about anyone, when you're going through puberty, your body is making some very fundamental changes. It's an awkward time for anyone. I don't care if you are Brad Pitt, Holly Berry, Eddie Murphy, when you were going through puberty, you had awkward moments right. and your body's changing and you're transitioning from, okay, you're not a kid, but you're not an adult, yeah. but you're trying to get a sense and you now have a better awareness of the world, but you're trying to figure out your place in the world because you're not independent. Um, if you happen to have a chance to go to college or you know, leave home, you're not there yet. You see that in the horizon. And I think so many of us are so quick to get to that adult phase. Like, I can't wait till I'm yeah. in college or I'm out of the house, I'm on my own. And then when you get more seasoned, you look back and it's like, wow, I wish I could live that life when I didn't have all the complexities that I have now. And so, and then you add autism into that mix. And so, you know, when I think about when, you know, when he was in his early teens, we had some real challenges in reference to him dealing with you know the changes in his body and we had some real meltdown and issues you know Julian was never on medication until that time period and then we weren't really um that must be really a tough go. decision too a tough decision to decide to do yeah. that for whatever period of time yeah we really didn't want to go into that direction but it just became one summer just so challenging that we did decided to have him on some medication which he's still been on a medication to this day, but it's a very small dosage. We haven't increased it, um, but that was a real struggle. But he was having such a challenge um, that summer um, in particular. And, you know, we've had times when he chose, I'm just gonna not eat. So we've had to take him to Children's Hospital. Um, he, and so we've had challenges. So, um, but I try to focus on the positive things and, just like anything, you have to go through struggle to see the rainbows. Uh, you got to have rain in the more out of flowers. And so it, it's easy to say that now because I'm not going through that right now, but just trying to think through those challenges make us stronger. And I think it's made us stronger as a family. And I think now when he has appears a challenge, he's able to get through those um, challenges, I think, easier. Now, I'm not going to say that he's not going to have challenges going forward because we all have challenges going forward. Uh, him having a learning difference of autism may make his challenges more unique than others. Um, but it's been something that I can reflect on now in a more positive perspective, although you know, we had a real struggle. Are you going um, through that it? In particular. I know when you're going through it. We have a comment in the chat room. I'll see the question as well. It says, Derek, I have worked with autistic students and have friends on the spectrum. Your openness to learn about the unique gifts Julian has to offer are a model to emulate. Support groups are so important for parents and men. Support groups are so important for parents and men are often reluctant to join these groups. 
thoughts about that? Uh, I definitely would agree with Janet's comments. Um, I think men are just, we are through decades of, um, I won't say indoctrination or maybe indoctrination, just rearing that, you know, men don't show emotion. We don't cry. We don't do certain things because that's not considered manly. Um, but, you know, going through this um, dynamic, I think what joins made me more willing to share my emotions and feelings. Um, there's a gentleman by the name of Dr. Robert Nassif, who is part of um, the Center for Autism. And we were able to have, um, you know, work with the Center for Autism and Julian received services from the center. Uh, my wife is now on the board for the Center for Autism. Um, and he has, I think his son is now 30, I think early 30s. Um, and he talked about his experiences as not only as a professional, but having a child on the spectrum. And I remember when Julian was at the Center for Autism and he would go there um, during the day and it would have been a traditional um, daycare in the early part of the day and then the latter part of the day, um, we were able to participate in a intergenerational men's group. So it was myself and my dad and other um, fathers and grandfathers talking about um, the challenges of being a, a father uh, with a child on the autism spectrum. And Dr. Nassif still has a, a men's group to this day. They meet um, on a monthly basis. There's friends I met in other avenues who also are part of that men's group. Um, and they are they just talk about their feelings and perspectives and the dynamics that men have in the comfort of other men that yeah. can relate to the issues like, okay, I was wanted to go to XYZ location, like the mall. And my son had a meltdown because he didn't want to get on the escalator because it was going too fast. I mean, we're just at the, we just went to the mall on Saturday for the first time in a year. And we were going up an escalator that was going too fast. And Julian didn't want to go on the escalator and paused for a moment. And then decided we decided to walk up the stairs. And I can remember, you know, when he was much younger, he had a major meltdown in a different mall based on an escalator. And he was screaming, escalator, escalator, escalator. But at the same point, he still wanted to get on the escalator because he's been on escalators in the past. So that's a very real perspective of something that just that. happened over the weekend. Um, but that. now he was able to adapt and adjust as opposed to screaming escalator. We were able to say, hey, Joe, let's just take the steps and we're able to take the steps. And that's yeah. the maturing dynamic, I think, as he's aged, has made it easier. Um, but I think having support groups like Dr. Nassif's group is very important. That's good. You're talking about meltdown. I remember when my little guy was having a meltdown in the car um, of a, a, we were going grocery shopping. So we were in the car and I'm in the front, he's in the back and he begins to have a little meltdown and I go, to console him, to hold him. And he's very, I mean, he's going for it. Police pull up. I'm like, oh my God, please, please, please. Uh, is everything all right? What's going on here? And of course I explained what was going on, but you know, you would have to live it in order mm -hmm. to understand it. Let me ask you another question about and, living it. And, and Dr. Smith, yeah. if I could just pull up one more. On one point, what you just talked about, the speech I've given in city council, um, especially in this current context of um, the dynamics in public safety and criminal justice. And I've had two uncles on my mother's side um, that have been involved in law enforcement, a former police officer. I'm a former assistant district attorney, so I've worked with police. But when we talk about the talk, and I'm sure some of your viewers have may have seen the Proctor and Gamber. Proctor and Gamble video that kind of really gives a perspective of what the talk is for those who are not part of the African-American community. I'm having that conversation with your young adult yep. son about what happens when you have to engage, interact with the police, but then take that to the next perspective of having an African-American child who may be on the autism spectrum and can't have that type of communication. And that takes it to an even deeper level and so we've actually, when he was younger and even now still have a card that we have in his book bag that has his name and our contact information and states he's autistic. But as he's getting older and becoming more 
independent and more of a self-advocate, I always have that fear that if he's outside of our home and some interaction occurs with the police and he tries to go into his backpack to get his card, could something happen? Sure. And so that's, the, I mean, that is the, the challenge that we deal with every day. And, you know, regardless of different titles or backgrounds and experiences, you know, the most important title I have is father. And so that's something that I always have that fear as long as I'm, yeah. I'm here. It's there, it's there. Early on, when a guy was diagnosed, I did have those feelings of, he's not going to be a motivational speaker like me. He's not going to be an author. He's not going to play sports. He's not going to, he's not going to be me. So I had my mini meltdown. I went victim. Mm -hmm. It didn't last, but I went there. It doesn't sound like you, you had that. Uh, we still always have that, you know, is my, my son going to join my fraternity? Is he going to do this, play sports? But, you know, you have those goals and visions for your child because you want your child to be phenomenal and be the best person that he or she can be and do more than you. But at the same point, regardless if he was on the autism spectrum or not, he still may not decide to do those things. Right. So Julian could not have a learning difference could not be in the autism spectrum. And I could be say, Julian, I want, we're going to put him in sports programs and these activities and other programs. And he may decide I'm going in a totally different direction. Yeah. Uh, and that's regardless of being on the spectrum of that. So, you know, we, all we can do is provide the best environment uh, for our children to grow and be their own independent free thinking uh, individuals that are productive parts of society. Uh, and try to support them um, because ultimately they are independent, free-thinking people, and we can put all these perspectives and you know give them all this training and, and have them involved in all these different programs and activities. And you're going to be this, and you're going to be that, and then ultimately they get to a, an age when they are fully independent, and they may reject those things or Absolutely. do those things, and Absolutely. you don't know what the future may hold. So all you can do is the best that you Good. can. And, you know, I didn't have that perspective overnight, um, but, you know, it, it took me time to realize that just like I, and what it also makes you do as a parent, you reflect on your own childhood. And so I think of some of the conversations I've had with my parents about different things and why I want to do this. And they said, well, why are you doing this as opposed to that? So the, as I said, like earlier, when he, on, when he was adolescent sprinkled with autism, it's the same concept. That's good. That's good. Sprinkle with autism. Um, Derek, what makes World Autism Awareness and Acceptance Month so important, both for you personally and on a larger scale? Well, I, I think it's important for me just so that um, one Julian is no not in the house or maybe no longer in the house, that as he's interacting with the world, people will... Um, one, be aware of him having a physical learning difference and being neurodiverse. And I've even changed that. I used to say autism accept, you know, autism awareness month, but now I'm focusing more on autism acceptance because you need, you can be aware, but not accept. And so I think now moving forward, being much more um, um, pronounced and, let, and having people to accept individuals for having learning differences uh, and trying to not be ableist as much and you know an ableist means coming from a perspective that everything should be done from those who don't have physical learning differences uh, as a forefront of how we do things and be more inclusive um, well, i'm glad you brought that let's just park there for a second inclusive how does autism awareness or autism acceptance where does that fit in in the whole diversity and inclusion conversation well i i the, the point when you say diversity and inclusion most people, when you hear that phrase, they're thinking um, a difference of ethnicities. They're thinking of difference of genders. They may be thinking of a difference of sexualities, but they may not be thinking difference from a neurological perspective. Yes. And so that's one, and, and the challenge with autism, because it's a learning difference, as I, I have phrased it, is not, may not be visually apparent. Because you've met one person on the autism spectrum, that means you've met one person on the autism spectrum. Right, right. You know, 
Julian was someone that, you know, he wasn't afraid to make eye contact, which, you know, in the early, you know, more early awareness of autism, they would say, well, this is someone that's going to do things in a repetitive manner. They're not going to make eye contact, you know, those type of things. And that was not, although he did do things, you know, in sequence, but not making eye contact and not being approachable was not one of Julian's things. Um, so just being you know, more inclusive of their other types of diversity. And even within the um, disability community, and I still have some great, some challenge with the word disability versus learning difference, but even within that community, the disabilities that you can see or observe or come in contact yeah. versus someone that's visually impaired or hearing impaired or has another type of difference that you can either visually or orally or have a perspective different than a physical, different than a learning difference. That's when I talk about you know, diversity. And I think even within the disability community, that's not always as engaged and, and invited. So being diverse from all perspectives, especially neurodiversity, I think there's something new. And I think that's what Autism Acceptance Month has allowed more people to look at people differently um, based on a learning difference. Man, it, this, this is good stuff. It's, we only have like 10 minutes. I can't believe the time is flying. Um, there's so many places I want to go, but take it to a chat room for a second. There's a question about wow, business and finance. The question is, do you think having a strong business and finance background is an asset for a politician, if so, and why? And as you consider that question, when do you find the time, you and your wife, considering the challenges you have in, in rearing uh, someone with a learning difference? So the question is, do you think having a strong business and finance background is an asset for a politician and why? And my question along with that was around time, the business, the finance, the law, the councilman, and considering what's happening and rearing your, your child. Uh, well, definitely having a um, finance and business perspective, I think is very helpful for an elected official, regardless if you're on the executive branch, um, like a mayor or governor or president, as well as being on the legislative branch, like myself as a member of city council or a member of the Pennsylvania General Assembly or a member of Congress, because in both executive and legislative areas, you end up passing a budget. Either as an executive, you are presenting a budget that you're going to have to negotiate with your legislative branch, or if you're part of the legislative branch, you're having hearings on that budget, which you're going to pass that that executive will sign into law. So having an understanding of how business and finance work in reference to revenue that come into either your federal government, your state government, or your local government, because that's going to come from businesses as well as individuals, and having that understanding of how you know entrepreneurship and business works yeah. from the perspective of taxation on businesses, I think is very important, and how tax policy can impact the amount of revenue that's coming in um, or other uh, incentives you may have to provide to help grow revenue from the business sector and how the, how policies will impact um, revenue that comes into a city, which is revenue that you'll need to provide the, you know, the services that your constituents, um, both individuals and also businesses are looking for uh, as, pub as part of the public sector. Uh, from a time management perspective, uh, I'm always trying to do better. Uh, I have... <laughs> I am, you know, I'm very organized. My wife is organized times 10 compared to me. And some people, some of my friends can't believe it because they're like, Derek, you're already very organized. I can't see someone who's more organized than me. And I said, well, yes, then Sheila is much more organized than me. Um, but we try to find time, but I'm not going to deny it's not hard. You know, I have a you know, challenging schedule. She has a challenging schedule. Um, I get up, you know, I work out early in the morning off at like 5 a.m., 5.30, because that's really the only window of time that I have to do that. Um, I try to carve out time, but you know, certain times of the year can be really challenging. Now we're about to go into the budget process, as I was just talking about from the business of finance background and the budget process, even in a virtual um, perspective, as we do these hearings on Microsoft Teams, 
it's challenging because I'm trying to prepare for buddy hearings um, after the hearings at night. Um, even though I'm, I'm doing a lot of these calls by um, Microsoft Teams on my laptop, you know, and I do have some meetings that have been in City Hall, I'm here going through all these hearings and then you know, dinner, and then I may be going back to check up on email. Um, so I try to do things collaboratively. I try, we, I try to carve out time that are definitely family time, especially um, on the weekends, like Friday evenings, um, Sunday mornings when we're doing you know virtual church or in-person church and try to carve out time with the three of us um, over the weekend. And it, it can definitely be challenging. And I know there are definitely times that my wife and, and I would say Joan as well as saying that, you know, you're not here. And so I, I try to be cognizant. I can do a much better job of carving but, out but, more time. You talked about carving out time. You made time for this special event to occur. Um, we're going to uh, show a brief video. And for our podcast audiences, listen closely. Uh, but this was a special moment in Derek's life, his wife's life, his son's life. Let's, let's check this out. Join first day. Join vote for the first, first time. Voting. Join voting for the first time today. Can I get a high five? five? All right, good job. We're and you're going to vote for Derek Green. All right. <laughs> a little bias, huh? A little bias. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, I remember that. That was um, that was definitely fun. His first time voting. Um, so I think it was a little. Uh, disoriented because there was a lot of people around. It was like, yeah. wow, there's people here. So, but it was that was definitely a great moment, um, you know, for all of us. And you know, it's like voting, like other things. You know, we've never tried to um, shelter Julian from activity. So, like I said earlier, I gave you a perspective of going to the mall or going out to dinner. You know, when I was much younger, I would go to community meetings when I was president, East Manor neighbors. And I'm, you know, have him in the stroller going to a meeting. Uh, he's been at meetings, you know, when he was getting older. There's been times he's had a, a, a meltdown at a meeting. So I've had to deal with those issues. And it's funny because, you know, uh, I live in that area and there are people that have seen Julian grow. And they're like, hey, Derek, I, well, I don't care about you. I see you. How's Julian? <laughs> but I can't believe how tall he is because I've seen him at different meetings and other activities at a young age and I've seen him grow. So we've always tried to have him in an environment that was, um, you know, what people would say more traditional as yeah. well as neurodiverse environments. Um, to get the both in environments, I know my little guys, um, sound and noise, they, they can't do it. Um, and I just found out, I thought I was the biggest Philadelphia Eagles fan ever. I just found out that I got some competition that you're right up there with me. Have you ever taken them to a game? And we're going to put some pictures up on the screen again. Check this out for our podcast folks and speak to the pictures. But have you ever taken them to a game? Uh, I've not taken to Eagles game because I think that's a little too loud for him. And just mm -hmm. that environment, he's been at Sixers games, been at Phillies games. Um, although he's an Eagles fan, and when I, when I start saying EA, he jumped right in, <laughs> the rest of it. Um, but that's something, and, you know, also, you know, Eagles games can be a little cold yeah. at times. And I know I'm someone that, as I've gotten more seasons, you know, back in the day, an Eagles game in late November, no problem. But now, it's like... I can also watch this from the comfort of my home. Absolutely. But, but, but friend, look at this. Flat screen. Yeah, you, got, um, you play with big friends. You got Jeffrey Lurie. <laughs> <laughs> you got Nick Foles. You know, you got council people, B-Doc. You know, you're holding a trophy. I want to hang out with you, man. Well, that was, we, we were just fortunate enough to uh, have a chance to participate in the Eagles parade. Um, and I, I did have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. I wasn't planning on going. Uh, and then a friend of mine from college um, had you know, suggested I go. My sister, who lives in California, one of her close friends uh, works for Nike. So, you know, my sister said if the Eagles won the NFC Championship, she's like, I'm going. Because her and her friend were already going to do that. And so I was debating. And I was like, ah, this is February. And then joined the school. Minnesota. My, Minnesota. <laughs> my wife said, listen you would regret this if you did not go. So just go. 
And so once again, as I've gotten more seasoned, I've learned to listen to my wife more and more. <laughs> no what if, no what if, right? No what if. Derek, let me sneak this last question in before we begin to wrap up. You mentioned being involved in economic development. What are key factors for economical development to occur? Any thoughts? Well, I think key factors is access to capital. Um, this is something that I definitely saw when I worked at Meridian Bank um, as first as an inroads intern uh, and then as a small business. That's right. Owner. That's right. You part of that tree, that, in, yes, that yes. inroads tree. Inroads tree. I, in fact, I was Meridian's first inroads intern. And I think by the time I graduated, I actually had five uh, inroads interns. But um, no, access to capital, I saw the challenges that small businesses had in the city of Philadelphia, both as a lender and not having, you know, friends and family that could just provide resources um, to help start a, a new business as well as help grow, provide letter credit for that business. Um, when we look at the city of Philadelphia, we have a 43% uh, African-American population, but only 6% of the companies with employees are owned by African-Americans. Uh, we have a 15% Hispanic population uh, but only 4% of the businesses with employees are owned by people that live in the city of Philadelphia that have a Latin background. So access to capital and credit is something very important. Um, one of the issues and issues I've worked on is, is called a public bank and looking at how we can use um, public assets as a way to provide credit enhancements to enable those type of businesses to have um, the ability to get loans from large institutions so they can grow hire more employees and help employ more people in the city of Philadelphia. And when you think about the high level of poverty that we have at 25%, the best way to reduce poverty is to give someone a job. The best way to create more jobs is to grow small businesses. And I think through public banking and trying to provide more access to credit, we're gonna help grow um, small businesses in our city as a way of reducing poverty. That's good. That's good. Let's sneak one more quick one in. Your vision next five years for disabled and neurodiverse communities in Philly. Quick snapshot, your vision next five well, years. My, my vision is, and this goes to the work we're doing with Special Olympics uh, Southeast Pennsylvania, of uh, a city of inclusion and being the premier city of inclusion, not only in the United States, but uh, around the globe, where we have a city that has a lot of great assets uh, for those that have learning differences like autism. I mentioned the Center for Autism, which has been around for decades. Other organizations like Bancroft, which was started in Philadelphia, but yeah. based in South Jersey. So we have a lot of phenomenal organizations here in Philadelphia that when I talk to other people in other parts of the country, they don't have. But for all of these outstanding organizations, we still have so much more work to do. When we think about you know, the tragic um, death of Walter Wallace Jr. in October of last year, someone that had a behavioral health challenge. We have more work to do, um, but there's been great programs like the Audible for Autism program that brings police officers and young people in the autism spectrum together. Uh, we talked about you know, the Center for Autism. Uh, autism Speaks, there's a lot of work in this space, as well as uh, the Philadelphia Autism Project, which has an initiative that I support very strongly called the Community Autism Peer Specialist, which hires young, young adults in the autism spectrum to be employed and mentor younger people on the autism spectrum. So we have a lot of work to do. And I hope that in the coming years um, that Philadelphia really gets a chance to live up to our goal of being a city of inclusion for people of all backgrounds, regardless of your ethnicity, uh, your gender, your orientation, but also regardless of your neurodiversity as well. Love it, I love it. We usually do a, a segment called um, hot, not the hot seat, but to make a mini keynote where we ask our guests to give us 30 seconds of their best stuff on a call to action or encouragement, perseverance. Well, you just did it. You didn't realize it, but you just did it. That was, that was a keynote. That was a keynote. We cannot thank you enough, uh, Councilman, for the wisdom you brought today, the experience your courage, your vulnerability. I mean, you open up your house, my life. This is what's going on for me. And this is where I'm going in the future. My wife, my son, I'm serving the city of Philadelphia, uh, just doing what I do every day. So thank you immensely 
for making the time because I think your next interview is probably in five minutes. So right. thank you for that. Well, definitely thank you for the opportunity. Uh, it's great to be here, but thank you for the work that you're doing and really lifting up people, providing words of encouragement and having this type of dialogue, which is so needed, especially in the world today. Right, thank you. Now, don't go quite yet, don't go. Listen, um, this was our first season. We're putting a bow on it with councilmen. Our season two starts next week, same time. We're gonna have an international show. Six people from six different countries will be here. Yes, the time zones might be crazy, but they're gonna be here at 12 o'clock to share their thoughts on how the pandemic has impacted them and how they've pivoted and rebounded and what they're doing in their professions. As always, thank you for making the time. Thank you for listening and learning, asking the questions. And don't forget, you've just been impacted. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>